where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, I'm Barry and welcome to this episode of Where Nobody Knows Your Name and I'm joined by James. Hello. Hello, James. It's a highly farcical episode, this one. Isn't it just? With some quite surreal moments towards the end. Yes, which we'll talk about uh, because there is a behind the scenes story about the final shot of the episode. Yeah, it's a, it's a very odd behind-the-scenes story. It's akin to how the flux capacitor was invented in Back to the Future. That's uh, all I'll tease you with. This episode is Let Sleeping Drakes Lie, episode 18 of season 6, aired on the 18th of February, 1988, directed by James Burroughs and written by David Lloyd, who both hail from Taxi. The sitcom. Excellent. Thanks, James. And how does it start this one? In the cold open, as usual, Carla is teasing Cliff, insulting Cliff, just generally making fun of him because he's an easy target. And Cliff confronts her. He does. He makes a defiant stand. His solution to her ribbing is to not speak at all. Um, and he <laughs> thinks that this is He's getting an ovation from the bar when they all cheer to this news. Uh, but of course, it's actually them relieved at the idea that he's closing his trap. Oh, he does come up with some nonsense, doesn't he, that man? One of the weaker cold opens, I think. Doesn't really have much of a point to it. It's just getting in a cheap gag at Cliff's expense. Yes. In the main episode, it's an episode with two plots. The main one being a Norm and Evan Drake plot, which is an unusual combination, or we really haven't had before. The other plot basically begins with Frasier being quite a terrible psychiatrist and just telling everyone about his patients. Which I can tell you does happen, but with the obvious anonymity that's required. But Frasier's anonymity obviously doesn't... Well, Frasier telling about patients that are in the local area... Uh, and as we find out from the episode, are likely to visit the bar, isn't probably the best way to go. He tells the gang, much to their delight, about one of his patients being a beautiful woman who has an uncontrollable sexual attraction to dancers. Yes, Uh, which piques the uh, interest of the the bar. You can see them. Initially, they ignore Fraser's story, but the moment it becomes a beautiful woman with a sexual interest, (laughs) the the whole bar is interested in his story. But yes, this woman throws herself uncontrollably at anyone who shows a bit of dancing prowess. Sam latches onto that like a moth to a flame. Yes. And predictably, Fraser's patient turns up at the bar looking for him later. Do you want to know some little known facts about dance moves and apparently what are the most attractive dance moves are you chatting me up james no i'm going to tell you about a, a psychiatric study uh, done in northumber university in 2010 excellent i look forward to it and i also feel like we're on a first date that this is your first date patter <laughs> do you want to know what dance moves are the most attractive and which science says is the most attractive <laughs> i would love to <laughs> A study conducted in Northumbria University in 2010 found that dance moves to German dance music that heterosexual women found most attractive made use of upper bodies, varied movement, and for some reason had faster bending and twisting of the right knee. (laughs) That's that's not 
That doesn't tell me which dance. <laughs> it just tells me that a series of moves to perform. They're on repeat, just loop them. Okay, I shall bend my right knee. Uh, next time I have an opportunity to date a woman, I shall repeatedly bend my right knee in front of her. It's science, is what you'll say, just, just by moving your knee. Dances that heterosexual men found attractive include bigger hip swings and asymmetrical leg movements. The women in the study danced to a Rob Williams song, which may be relevant to the trivia later in the episode. An interesting study. Yes. I, I presume that the women were the same women throughout and performed each of the moves rather than they just rolled in different women for each dance move and men just picked their favourite woman. How it was conducted was that they had motion tracking suits. So the men didn't see any characteristics of the women, merely what movements they made. Because ah. it was mapped onto a, th- onto a 3D avatar, I guess is what you'd call it. Excellent. Oh, they, they thought this through. Yeah. They just gave men a sort of uh, a CGI fantasy. Yeah, dancing silhouette basically is what it was. We all love a dancing silhouette. We do. It's an interesting study, if one which is potentially quite nonsensical. So yeah, there's a... Little known fact for you. A, a niche one, admittedly, but mm. but science. And relevant. Uh, so so our other storyline has Rebecca, well, initially coming into the bar, uh, complaining that the, the company wants six months income projections, which somehow leads to Norm talking about painting Evan Drake's house, a job which I think Rebecca has uh, sorted out for him. And... Norm, for some reason, compromises his <laughs> professional integrity and offers Rebecca the chance to come and look around the house. Do you want to sniff his bedroom, Rebecca? Yeah, essentially. I don't know why Norm... It's one of those moments in a sitcom where they have an idea for a story and are trying to work out a way to make it happen. And in this case, Norm simply invites her around. I mean, it's very close to how this episode was written. <laughs> there you go. I'll talk about it when we do see the final shot, but in lieu of an idea for a story, they had an idea of an image and worked backwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, having watched the episode, I know what that image is. So Rebecca uh, agrees, um, well, eagerly agrees to uh, come round and check out Drake's pad. As predicted... Fraser's patient comes into the bar looking for him because she's left a package in his office, I believe. How convenient! Yes, another sort of shoehorning in a plot moment to make things work. And of course, Sam thinks that this attractive lady is the dance-obsessed patient that Fraser was talking about and starts to rhythmically move glasses around the bar to impress her. Did you like Ted's dancing? Hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did. I thought his little two-step was uh, very impressive. And apparently he's quite the dancer uh, in real life, the uh, actor, and maintains that to this day because he, on the set of The Good Place, taught uh, Jamila Jamil how to waltz. Oh, Yeah. I could almost see Tendanson going down the same career route that John Travolta did. I could see him as a young upstart starting in the the musicals and uh, ending up that way. They've gone very different routes, haven't they? Yeah. I don't think that Travolta's had quite the late career revival that Danson has. No. One of his last things was Gotti, which was not well received. No. I've heard some terrible things about that. 
Sorry, John. <laughs> Sam's pulling out all the moves, as you alluded to. She agrees to go on a date with him, and Sam's thinking, oh, I'm in here. But as we mentioned earlier, I think it's just because she likes what Sam Malone looks like, not how he moves. <laughs> yeah, alongside his moves, he actually just does a fairly decent, smooth chat up, doesn't he? So actually, regardless of the dance moves, I think he actually comes across as quite charming. She's taken by the big man. And uh, <laughs> uh, actually, I think it's her that proposes dinner later. Well, there you go, Sam. Sam's still got it. So they go off on their date. And this is where we go back to the onset of perhaps the most farcical and absurd sequence we've ever seen in Cheers. Yeah. And it's it is like a carry-on film, isn't it? it yes. It's, it's very much a classic sitcom setup. Yeah. Um, trapped in the, the bedroom of someone who doesn't know you're there and trying to get out. It does feel like it harks back to the Dick Van Dyke era. Mm. So just for our listeners, the premise essentially is that Rebecca has come back with Norm. She's doing everything you'd expect. She dives <laughs> on the bed and starts to rub the sheets and wants to see in his closet and all the rest of it. And they even have an exchange just lining up the predictable return of Drake from his business trip in Europe. What if Evan comes back unexpectedly? Look, he's in Europe, okay? You don't come back unexpectedly from Europe. You come back unexpectedly from the movies or shopping, but you don't come back unexpectedly. <laughs> what? What? Oh, my God, it's Mr. Drake. He's back unexpectedly from Europe. Oh, I have to get out of here. Oh, uh, yes, sir. Be right down, sir. Oh, it's all right. I'm coming up. They're aping themselves, isn't it? They're toying with this. I think they probably know it's a very overused premise for a, a comedy show. And so they're playing with it openly. Taking it to the illogical extreme. Yes. Of course, Miss Drake comes back. Uh, Rebecca dives in the closet and... Mr. Drake is exhausted from his marathon business meeting and just wants to go to sleep. Three days worth of meetings. Three days worth of meetings. And nothing Norm can say can persuade him otherwise. And so Norm is told to leave. Actually, in, in the first instance, he leaves really <laughs> quickly without much thought. Uh, and we cut straight back to the bar where he's supping a pint. So <laughs> he's just left Rebecca there and goes back to the bar. And has himself a beer. There's a very almost Seinfeldian quality to the dialogue when he returns to the bar where they go, you left her in the closet? So you just left her in the closet? Believe me, I did everything I could to get the guy out of the room for like one minute, but he wouldn't budge. So you just left her in the closet? <laughs> there was nothing else I could do, okay? So you just left her in the closet? Carla, it wasn't my fault, all right? Very much akin to Seinfeld in terms of the repeated line phrased in slightly different ways. Yeah, and also the back and forth, the going back to the situation again and again and again to re-explore it feels like that as well. There she is, locked in the closet, and of course, to make things more difficult and to, as we've alluded to, just to make the situation as on the tracks towards a surreal ending as possible, the closet creaks. Yes. And also, Drake is a light sleeper and will wake at any sound, even though he's is. exhausted. <laughs> it, it is like they've literally 
just presented the audience all the information they need, all the exposition on a plate so they don't have to work any harder than that. <laughs> Even introducing the butler, having a butler there as a it's got his very own sort of Bruce Wayne's butler that hangs around in the room and does everything for him, including every time Norm opens the closet to give Rebecca a way out, he closes it again. Good time to talk about the cast, I think. We only have three guest cast in this episode. Tom Skerritt as Evan Drake, Cess Verrill as Jennifer, Frasier's patient and Sam's romantic interest. She also appeared in Knight Rider, Dynasty, LA Law, Hunter, Matlock, The X-Files, Murder, She Wrote, Wings, ER, and many more. We have Jay Bell as Grayson, the butler. He also appeared in One Day at a Time, The Tortellis, The Young and the Restless, LA Law, Wings, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Sinatra, Dave's World, Days of Our Lives, and many more. Thank you, James. I always enjoy your your cast read-offs. I find it very relaxing. This back and forth continues. Norm becomes increasingly more surreal and over the top in his attempts to get Rebecca out of this cupboard, each time going back to the bar to have a beer in between with, as you said, James, all the cast members saying, you left her in the cupboard. I do like, though, that he gives her a snack. (laughs) Yeah, which she eats as though she's been starving for days. (laughs) She's been in there for, what, a couple of hours? Yeah, and and she eats it like a a pig in a trough, doesn't she? She absolutely gorges on that, hiding herself in a dry cleaning cover to make sure that he doesn't hear her crunching. Because, yeah, they're crisps or potato chips. They can be a loud snack. Yes, they can. Part of me would have loved Everdrake to open the closet as she was in his coat. Yes, And I thought that was going to happen. I was waiting for her to be caught in some absurd position, but... Instead, they decide to go even more weird. So Norm comes back. I think his first attempt to persuade Mr. Drake to move rooms by suggesting there's a crack in the ceiling and that the the room may collapse at any point. And this doesn't work, so he leaves. His next attempt, he comes back and talks about killer bees on their way from Mexico. Yeah, he briefly talks about paint cans he says he left some cans in the closet which he needs to close the lid just so he can keep the door open and then Grayson goes well we'll have none of that closed door yeah killer bees from mexico was <laughs> was the uh just before the gang said give the weirdest lie you can yes so but at this point when he goes back with the killer bees rebecca has managed to get out the closet but has left a purse by the side of the bed in trying to retrieve it and ends up in the absolute classic sitcom position of under the bed uh, with Evan Drake on top, which you always knew was going to happen. They'd have to get her in that position at some point. Yes. The closest proximity to the person. Yeah. Overused in both horror and comedy. Yeah. (laughs) The killer was under the bed. (laughs) Norm doesn't realise she's escaped the closet and he's looking around. And then he feels someone grabbing his ankle and screams. There they go. They're headed up to Canada or someplace. Well, ah! what is it? Beasting. They're back, sir. And still can't persuade Mr. Drake to leave the room in any way. And so goes back to the bar. And that's when, as you said, James, the bar patrons convince him. I think it's Frazier that convinced him to tell the biggest a most absurd lie he can think of, uh, which is guaranteed to work, which sounds like nonsense to me. <laughs> that, that is nonsense. The secret to telling a good lie, particularly about oneself, 
is to give self-deprecating information within the lie, because then people will go, there's no reason they tell me this. There's no reason this would be a lie. Why would he make that up? Yeah. And also ground it in as much truth as possible. Yeah. So make sure that it's a lie encased in an onion skin of multiple truths. <laughs> Norm chooses not to do that. Norm chooses... <laughs> yeah, Norm goes wild. Before Norm goes wild, should we uh, talk about Sam's incident with uh, Fraser's uh, dance-obsessed patient? Yeah, where he's leaning more and more into the dancer motif mr mr danson and he even sings got a dance from singing in the rain <laughs> which was which was quite nice and wears unusual leg clothes yeah those sort of uh weird bunched up leggings that you you see in flash dance and things like that yeah jane fonda type yeah yeah i don't know what they are but i recognize them enough to know where they're from <laughs> yeah i wonder what purpose they do ankle sweat yeah, they look like someone's started dancing with very long socks and they've slowly worked themselves down due to the exercise. That is it, yeah. Sam's been on a date. He's left the woman in his apartment, given the excuse of popping out for some ice so that he can go back to the bar. And again, this is just a cheap, lazy way of setting up a joke, but he's gone back to the bar to talk to people about why she isn't that interested in his dance moves. It sounds to me like, should that even matter at this point? If she's come back to his apartment, why is he run off to ask the question of, maybe it's because she hasn't immediately danced on him when he's river danced around her in the apartment. And he's trying to find Frasier. And this is when Frasier goes, Sam, I spoke to two beautiful women this morning. One of them was attracted to dance. And Sam goes, oh, What's the other attracted to? And he was like, oh, she was a pyromaniac. And he goes, okay. And then you hear fire engines. Immediate fire engines and Sam running out. I like the little touch of him grabbing the ice that he'd come to the bar for. Oh, he actually did get ice. (laughs) Which I think there's only really one song I think is fitting to Sam's storyline in this episode, which is Maniac by Michael Sambello. Ah, what about Burn, Baby, Burn? Well, a Disco Inferno, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, Disco Inferno would work. That's well, a good it's, one. It's the same song, isn't it? But that, that's uh, mixing dance and, and fire, which is essentially uh, Frasier's patience for that morning. What an exciting lineup. If you're a, a psychiatrist and you think, this morning I've got dance and fire, what a, what a great morning to look forward to. So Sam runs off. That's the end of that story. It seems to me like it was a just a simple rope-a-dope of a, a joke that they'd put in. Yep. Let's make Ted dance. And <laughs> <laughs> that's all we need from him the, this week. Cue back to the Norm and Rebecca story. And this time Norm goes in full on with his crazy over-the-top story, which is bizarre. I mean, at, at this point, my... My disbelief wasn't even suspended. Uh, I defenestrated my disbelief at this point is what I'd done. What an excellent word. Defenestrated from the French for window. <laughs> yeah, it means to throw out of a window, to yeet out of a window. Like uh, Keith Moon was known for defenestrating televisions. Yeah. Never heard that put so eloquently, James. <laughs> that was the sun headline that week. <laughs> Keith Moon defenestrates television. <laughs> <laughs> What's Norm's ridiculous uh, attempt to get Mr. Drake out of his bedroom and free Rebecca. 
Norm's ridiculous attempt is that at this point, ever Drake is fed up of Norm's nonsense. And he goes, what do you want, Peterson? And he goes, well, sir, it's quite embarrassing, really. I have a dream of carrying a millionaire across his lawn in his pyjamas. Which is just bizarre. Not only bizarre for the story, but also for Evan Drake's immediate willingness to make this happen. <laughs> he he virtually dives into uh, Norm's arms. But he does go, if you do this, will you please leave me alone? I don't know why he doesn't just lock the door. <laughs> Or tell his butler, at the very least, to stop answering the door to Norm. <laughs> of course, this happens. Norm carries, we don't see this, but we, we assume he carries uh, Mr. Drake across his own lawn. But when he gets back, it turns out the butler nipped in immediately afterwards to do the sheets. And uh, so Rebecca was still trapped under the bed. So it didn't work. I mean, eventually he'll leave for work. Yeah. Yeah. And then when was the last time you looked under your bed? That's not a threat, James. <laughs> you got me concerned now. <laughs> Could be anything under this. Like, that's where I left that pizza. Uh, yeah, I've not looked under my bed in easily a year. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there might well be the skeletal remains of your own particular sitcom incident uh, under that bed. <laughs> Kirsty Alley? Yeah. <laughs> when were you here? Uh, so I, I I always think the under the bed story is she's far better under the bed than she was in the closet. A closet has a use. Under the bed space is there for storage, uh, dogs and potentially children to have a play. Um, and of course, nightmares. But it doesn't serve any other purpose. So she could probably stay under there for weeks and nothing would happen. But they're always desperate to get out from under the bed. Every sitcom uh, bed under bed dweller uh, that there's ever been and there's always something dropped or you know some reason that they might get their eyes at under bed level that of course would never normally happen in real life what happens though is that because of grayson's interfering norm has to go back to the bar ask for advice and they say well why not just do it again well, yeah, and what I find funniest about this whole thing is that Norm has a beer each time in between <laughs> each of these things. He goes back for a beer. So he's just getting slowly more drunk. Yeah, and that fits in with his attempts, I suppose, and the, how surreal they start becoming. Someone could break it down into a nice graphic. Four pints of Mexican bees. <laughs> <laughs> Five pints, carry a millionaire. And then six pints, as we find out, is uh, carry a millionaire again. <laughs> and basically, he goes back to Evan Drake and Evan goes, but Peterson, you promised. You said if you'd carry me across the lawn, you'd never bother me again. No, sir, you misunderstand. I want people to know I've fulfilled my lifelong dream. Yeah. And again, this is so strange. <laughs> the idea that this millionaire would, one, let Norm carry him across his own lawn in his pyjamas, <laughs> but then two, agree to do it to an audience. <laughs> all in order to go to sleep in his own locked house that he keeps letting the painter and decorator in. I think he locked the bedroom the second time because Norm does climb in through the window. Yes, which again, Evan Drake doesn't question why he would have a ladder up to his first floor window. But yes, so anyway, this happens. And, and cue one of the strangest endings to a Cheers episode I've ever seen. Yes, which is... Norm carrying Evan Drake in his arms. I mean, it was it was a little endearing. 
because <laughs> Tom Skerritt just holding on to, to George Wendt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the gang at Cheers doing a polite golf applause. Yeah. <laughs> uh, almost like the end of Officer and the Gentleman. <laughs> Go get him, Norm! And, and we see Rebecca climbing out the window in the background. And one little touch I did like was Cliff with his arm round Grayson, the butler, obviously <laughs> boring him to death, but preventing him from looking round and seeing Rebecca coming out. So Cliff is the, the decoy. And, and what better decoy to have? The man could talk anyone into a uh, distraction. But this whole episode was written, and I think this was on Ken Levine's blog, because he was he was involved in production and consultant capacity throughout all of Cheers, even if he wasn't writing the specific episode, and there's always a, a writer's room in American sitcoms. What happened was the writer of this episode, David Lloyd, had the image of Norm carrying someone in their pajamas in, in front of their mansion. Uh, while everyone applauded. And then he went, I can't get this image out of my head. Can we write it into an episode? And they went, well, that's on you, Dave. My goodness. It shows the level of respect that he's garnered already amongst the Cheers team, that he can simply have the need to get a disturbing image out of his head and they write a whole episode around it. Yep. So, yeah, it was very much an episode written in reverse. I think... I have to be critical. I, I quite enjoyed the episode, but it, it didn't hold up that well because it did feel like it was a lot of shoehorning to make this happen. Yeah. And I think some missed opportunities as well because what you normally expect from Cheers is callbacks. And this had a fairly linear progression, which is what made the ending so strange. It just suddenly ended on that image of them walking across the lawn. And I was expecting some sort of back to the bar, you know, reflection or whatever it might be. There's a familiar writing pattern in a lot of sitcoms, which is that whatever has happened by the end of the episode, the state of the characters will be the same as it was at the beginning of the episode. And this episode didn't quite do a full story circle. Mm. And, and often what happens in Cheers is that you very cleverly have two stories tie up together yeah, or one element of one story have a real impact on the ending of the other. Yes. And in this case, again, that didn't happen. These two stories were completely separate. There was no sort of clever mix of two things happening for the big payoff joke. Yeah. And that's, that's why Cheers works as an ensemble show. Because there's so many characters, you can have them doing different things, which ultimately combine at the end but in this one it was not to be i liked it but it was an episode which as you say felt very much we need to get to a certain point let's fill in the gaps to get to that point yeah and it was i felt the characters themselves betrayed their written characters a little in this episode drake succumbed far too easily to this odd request he lost his authoritarian presence and threatening presence that he's had in previous episodes yeah, and and Rebecca even was really didn't play anything but a foil for the story. She had no part in this other than to be the woman in the cupboard. She only had a few lines because whenever she was in the same room as Drake, she never spoke. She ate some crisps. That was her. She ate some crisps in a closet. Is that our house special? Closet crisps. <laughs> and even Norm, normally quite 
normally uh quite reserved you know he's a man who drinks at the bar and makes kind of he's not a mover and suddenly he's placed in this position of being over the top active doing something very physical it was odd seeing an energetic norm so so yeah this episode felt like it was it felt like it was written by someone else like yeah a guest writer you know when you have the episode in a lot of modern sitcoms and comedy series and particularly cartoons do this where they have the one-off episode that is so bizarre and sort of dislocated from the usual events that it's obviously a one-off. And this felt like that one-off episode that has no bearing on the overall story or the arcs of the characters. It's just there for a bit of fun and a distraction. I would like there to be some social awkwardness between Evan and Norm going forward, though. Just, <laughs> just a kind of glance that they give each other. A tasteful wink. <laughs> yeah. Because essentially, they've almost had a very romantic end of marriage sequence, haven't they? Norm has carried Evan Drake over the threshold of his own house as if they were a newly married couple. Yeah, twice. Yeah, twice. (laughs) (laughs) So romantic. What's that sound, James? It's trivia. Well, that explains what Cliff's been doing uh, all throughout this episode. He's been making his way to us uh, to deliver the mail. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. So my first question ties in a little to that study I talked about earlier. I say a little, it is a little, it's not much, but it's slightly relevant. What nickname does Sam claim to have in order to impress Jennifer? Yes. Oh, I remember him giving it. And the the hint I gave earlier was that it's vaguely related to Robbie Williams. You've said that. I'm going to say something about angels. That would make more sense, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Go on. It's Bojangles. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, Robbie Williams did a cover of Mr. Bojangles, originally written by Jerry Jeff Walker in 1969. What is Jennifer's last name? Oh, Jennifer's last name uh, is, I know this, McCall. McCall, yes. Yes, Jennifer McCall. Near the start of the episode, Frasier quotes his old professor talking about patience. Do you know what his quote was? I don't know. I was going to say, is it some some kind of cathartic or vicarious joy in doing it but that doesn't sound right he says uh if you can't laugh at your patients what fun are they what two paint colors was norm torn between for painting evan drake's bedroom something sandy and i don't know the other one Navajo white and sandstone. Sandstone, yeah. Navajo isn't something that comes into our day-to-day lives very much in the UK, so that's probably why it slipped off my radar. What closet snack does Norm bring to Rebecca? We've established it's potato chips, but what kind? Oh, you're the snack king, so I'm not surprised that you're asking this question. (laughs) I'm also partial to a snack, and I'm disappointed that uh, I don't know the answer. It's simply Cajun-style chips. I do like a bit of Cajun, though. I just cooked a Cajun stew last night. Ooh. Cajun chicken 
stew. I, we'll find out actually if it's any good. It's just been in the pressure cooker. So, oh, that sounds delightful. It does, doesn't it? You might see that as a recipe on our newsletter on Patreon at times, because I myself am partial to Cajun food. But we have many other recipes to choose from also. Excellent. Those lucky Patreon subscribers. And that ends this episode, an enjoyable, if ludicrous, episode, which is a phrase I've used to describe more than one night out. Hopefully, it could be a very pleasant conclusion to be carrying a very rich man in his pyjamas across his own lawn at the end of a night out. One can dream. (laughs) Norm did fulfil his dream. He did, yes. Thank you for listening. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a cheerist podcast. (laughs) 